Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first December edition of the TetraCast, well, December of 2020 edition. Uh, and I just realized, looking at the calendar, that this will be our likely our second to last regular podcast for the year, because we'll have another podcast for you next week, and then we're into Game of the Year deliberations. So maybe I'm uh, jumping the gun by talking about the second to last podcast, but still, it's crazy that after such a long, weird year, that we're finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. My name is Brian Vitale. Uh, I'll be hosting. Joining me today is the usual crew. We've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. We've got Adam Vitale. Hey, guys. And James Galicio. Yo. And despite it being a busy time of year for games, it's not a busy time of year for game news or announcements, though it's you know it's not zero either. So we have a few things to talk about, but... The slate in terms of topics today is pretty light. So this might be a shorter cast, but maybe we'll surprise ourselves and still talk for two hours anyways. We'll just have to see where the conversation goes. So obviously the November of, you know, the last November of the previous console generation, all the games that we've been talking about, Hyrule Warriors, we've got Cyberpunk on the way. So we'll be able to talk about that next week. Uh, we've got Yakuza, you know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, all those, you know, We'll see over the course of the, this podcast, the next couple of weeks, what games we end up talking about. So I, I guess we'll just kind of open to the floor and who has played a game to wrap up their November that they're itching to share their impressions on. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, I guess I'll go. Yeah, I was um, just going to say, like, you're, you have probably the most interesting title on the list document here, because I don't think we've talked about it much in, in previous podcasts. Uh, so I'm playing the biggest launch of December, jokingly, <laughs> um, Immortals Phoenix Rising, which is a game I've actually been cautiously optimistic about even when it was Gods and Monsters. Like I, I remember when it first got announced, uh, we, we were chatting on the staff chat and we were like, oh my god, there's this game. And I was like, okay, let's cover it. I don't know what it is, but I want to cover it. Because they like they compared it to Assassin's Creed and I was like, yeah, that, that gives us grounds. Assassin's Creed's an RPG now. I, I want to talk about this. Wait, uh, wait, and- wait. I need to back up. Did was it compared to Assassin's Creed before it was compared to Zelda? When did the Zelda yeah. games come in? When they went before it was Immortals Phoenix Rising. So was, I yeah. think this was like last year. It was or like maybe when when they announced it, they were like, "Oh yeah, it's our take. It's like a mix of Assassin's Creed." And I I think they purposefully didn't say Breath of the Wild at the time. But <laughs> as I will talk about now, that <laughs> yeah, there is no escaping that. Um, so as it's drawn closer, I've been. I guess I haven't like thought about it too much. I've been like I knew I'd play it, but I wasn't super excited for it. And we as a site haven't like massively talked about it. Uh, so I just kind of picked it up on a whim. I said I'd, I'd be able to talk about it on the podcast. Maybe if it interests me, write something up about it. Uh, and I'm about six hours in. So I started yesterday, and I've like just run around the map doing bits and bobs. Uh, and it, yeah, it's pretty good so far. Um, it's not perfect there's it it suffers a lot with the same stuff that ubisoft games always suffer with i think probably like it's the least ubisoft game i've played because it's trying so hard to be a nintendo game well that's that's actually one thing i wanted to comment on is like some people cynically say like that watchdogs that assassin's creed that division all have the same like design of game with just a different coat of paint where this game finally feels like this feels like a Ubisoft game of the of the late or mid aughts, where it feels like 
Prince of Persia or early Assassin's Creed or um, maybe something more like Beyond Good and Evil, like one of those more artsy, streamlined, not bloated, trip, not AAA. Yeah. It, it feels like a, it feels like it came out of a different place than the typical Ubisoft caliber game of recent years. So it, it surprised me actually. Uh, I went on the map earlier and I was like, right, okay, I'll, I'll clean up some side stuff. I'll, you know, I'll get some better gear. I'll go do some of the puzzles. And there's not a massive amount of side content. Like you do have all these uh, that what what they're called in Breath of the Wild. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to keep doing this, but as an easy comparison point, we've all played Breath of the Wild. Well, well it's that, one right? of those things where it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you want the game to talk about the game on its own merits, but if it if it deliberately so plays, we know with the ideas introduced in another game or another series, like we're gonna bring those up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it has all these like puzzle. They're sort of like the dungeons that were in Breath of the Wild, where it's just like a short puzzle. You mean, uh, so you mean, you mean yeah. specifically the uh, the shrines, not the divine beasts? Shrines, thank you. That's yeah, the word. that's the word. Uh, so they're like shrines. I should just like I should have just let you keep talking around it. No, it's I'm like glad because it dungeons in the back of my head. I was like, I know this isn't right. But I'm just gonna keep going. Um, they focus on like one one element of a puzzle and then that element like gets done a few times until it's its hardest point and then you get like a you get an item that can upgrade your stamina uh and that's kind of it so far for stuff that i've discovered that side content like and i like that i like the fact that i'm not walking around the map it's like oh hey if you go here there's like these million things you can collect and this thing you can do i, I kind of like that it's just it is this world you can explore this world uh but i should probably give a a brief sort of plot summary. Uh, so you play as Phoenix, who is, I think he's meant to be a demigod because all the advertising says he is, but so far I haven't had reference to that. Is is uh, it spelled like it is in the title, or is it spelled like the the bird? Uh, like it is in the title. So it's like there's actually a funny detail there, which I, which I'll get to uh, in terms of like an actual Phoenix. Uh, you know, I'll say it now. It's, it's more interesting than the, the plot. <laughs> um, so you actually do have like a Phoenix companion. Uh, and it's like what's a, the a what's the what's the is, the is the Phoenix companion's name regular Phoenix? No, well that's what's <laughs> funny. You find it and it's like oh, and he keeps calling it like a proud creature, and I'm like okay, so they they obviously can't call it Phoenix because he's Phoenix. Although I was like oh okay, so that's why it's called a Phoenix. So like, that's the sort of joke I guess that it gets its name from him. And they call it Phosphorus over like a god of the sun or something like that. My 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 Greek mythology is not amazing, so I don't know too much, but. Then the the dialogue is like saying like yeah the bird really doesn't like that name like it it like it doesn't like that so obviously like jokingly it's like hedging around the fact that it's, they're really called phoenixes I guess um, so you play as phoenix and he's like a he's a lowly shield bearer like a a poet and a storyteller but he's like the only one left who can stop Typhon from destroying the world it, it's kind of like a generic setup of the world is destroyed you're the only hero go and prove it, I guess. Uh, but you run around this massive island and you have to rescue kids, four, four of the gods. So you have to like restore their essences because they've all been like trapped in different situations. So Ares is a chicken. Athena has been turned into a child. Uh, Hephaestus has been turned into a robot. And the last one I haven't got to, uh, who is it? Aphrodite. Yeah. Aphrodite is the last one. And she's been turned into a tree. And like they're all in like these weird scenarios where it's like a, a twist of what they actually are. Um, so you have to like help them out and slowly get more and more abilities. And it, it's kind of like a 
it's a generic setup, but I think one of the things that Immortals does kind of it, it's it's in the middle of good and bad. It it's sometimes very good with its humor, and then sometimes it's very cringe. I saw someone on Twitter compare it to like a Greek Family Guy, and I was like, I wouldn't go that far. Like it isn't it isn't that bad, but it's just some of the jokes are really on the nose and, and not some funny. of the, some of the marketing for it was like. I was like, Ugh, I don't find this type of style of humor funny. If it, if it ends up going too ham on this the whole game, it could easily turn me off. Yeah, that's that's what I was worried about as well. Um, but sometimes it's quite clever. So this, this is going to be a, this is long winded, and I've seen this used in every reference to the game and how it like can be good of its humor. But for one of the missions uh, for Aphrodite, you have to roll a pearl into the ocean um, in reference to her how she was supposedly born from a pearl after a a fight shook the, the a fight shook the heaven and earth and like she fell from it or whatever and you're doing this quest and people who know ancient greek mythology will know that she actually wasn't born from a pearl it was a testicle um, so you're going through this quest and like if you know it and i only know it because a million people have said it but if you know it you're like okay are they going to reference it and then at the end of the quest they kind of do they're like oh it's like a whispered conversation it's like oh no it wasn't actually a pearl it was like a and then just starts whispering uh and i was like that's kind of clever like to go through like the actual mythology and make jokes about that. That's when it's at its best, when it's referencing stuff and joking about how messed up it all is. But then sometimes it's just there's no yeah, word yeah, for it. Now you gotta you gotta give me like one of the cringiest one liners or puns that they do. Yeah, and there's a lot of them, but I guess the audience is for kids. Um I'm kind of surprised at how difficult it's been so far though. Like it's completely manageable, but if you go to an area that you're not prepared for, or you try and do a mission that you've like barely bothered for, you you will get beaten. So like I've been trying to clear up some missions that I thought would be easy, and I was like, oh, I won't stock up on potions. Like I can just do this. Like I've beaten a million games. This this childish Assassin's Creed isn't going to get me. And then I get there, and I'm like, oh okay, <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> Good. Um, so that that's nice. Like I feel like I feel like maybe. It's not a world-changing game at all, but it is good in everything it does. And I am—I think it's probably the best thing Ubisoft's put out this year, from what I've played from them. So, like, I—I make my fingers. What 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 does what does that indirectly like sideline Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs Three, anything else? Is that what they've done this year? Oh, Division Two was was that this year or is that last year? No, that was last year. Ah. Well, I I hated Watch Dogs Legion, like quite a lot because i loved two so much and then this one is just like a bare bones soulless husk of a poorly english accented game i hate it um so anything above that isn't saying much but i am really enjoying mortal so far i guess it's just not very distinct in a lot of ways like it's good in a lot of ways but so far i haven't seen anything besides the world and the focus on greek mythology and i guess the graphics which are like really good like it looks beautiful like most oh, of the time oh yeah what are you playing it on ps4 ps5 yeah ps5 cool so it's like a smooth 60 looks looks fantastic like a warped color painting breath of the wild is kind of infamous for not having a very good combat system like well, i i personally didn't mind it like i i thought it kind of did what it was supposed to do well enough but i i know that the, the general opinion is that people hate the breakable weapons and they think it's just really simple uh, and Immortals like is completely different from that, so it's sort of character action like, 
you can you can do like uh combos that lift people up into the air you can keep them in the air and then you switch them to your bow and you're like shooting them out of the air uh and it feels a lot better than breath of the wild in that sense like it, there is a lot of weight and heft to the combat uh i don't know if there's gonna be too much can you depth can you can you describe the content combat in a little bit more depth like i'm just curious like when you see an so, enemy, do like do you do you like lock on and then pull out a weapon, which then is assigned to a face button, or like just I so don't, it's I like, don't have a good feel for how it plays. So it basically you are you only have you have three weapons. So far in the game I've only got three of them. And instead of like, oh, I can equip a sword or I can equip a spear or whatever, you only have a sword and you only have an axe assigned to one button each. You can customize how they look and you can get like a different axe, but essentially you just have those two. So one is light attacks, one is heavy attacks. Uh, and because of that focus, they've like you've got combos, you can like press R1, R1, R2, sort of like juggle enemies. So it's not it's not the sort of game where you go around like, oh, I found I found a broom handle. Let's see how that does in combat. Like, no, you have a sword, you have an axe, you have a bow, and that's kind of it, but you can do quite a lot with them. Uh, and then you also get like powers from the gods so a good example of one is that when you finally get the the phoenix you can like use that almost like a summon so one of its abilities is like you hold r1 you press circle and it'll come down like rain fire on an enemy and then you've got others like you can uh use Ares's spears to come up from the ground as like a lifter so it's it's pretty simple again like it, it's not it's not the sort of thing that, i'm gonna i mean that, that feels very zelda like to me and i know someone's gonna say like well no that feels like this other action adventure game that came out that predated zelda or whatever but just the idea <laughs> that you have a fixed weapon type but then you have kind of like these add-ons like what you would what you would in classic zelda games like slot to your you know your your c buttons is that what they're called in the game 2 controller the n64 yeah, controller yeah. uh so yeah you have these other things like these little summons that you can do to kind of add in i guess to your to your normal melee attacks or your bow attacks the difference here is that like you get the sort of typical bayonetta witch time dodge. So if you dodge a, an attack at the oh, I guess that's in Breath of the Wild as well with the flurry. Uh, uh, that's in enough games where it's like, who do you attribute? I mean, flash stepping in these games. I think yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, who do you attribute that to? Who made? Who who invented that? I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> it just feels it just feels very more action focused in a good way. Like when I'm playing it, I actually look forward to the combat. And in Breath of the Wild, as much as I didn't mind the combat. If I was exploring the land and some some the goblins jump up, I'm not like, oh yeah, here we go, battle. I'm kind of like, okay, I'll just do this so I can go climb and cook something. Whereas in Immortals, it feels like the opposite way around, where it's like looking for fights and enjoying it when they when they come about. Yeah, it, it really kind of depends on like the design of the game. Like, to what extent is combat the focus of the game, or is it just kind of means to an end? Uh, Definitely like, feels just... like the focus. Oh, okay. Like in Zelda, in Breath of the Wild, it never really bothered me just because I always thought that that game was trying to focus on exploration first. And Zelda has never been like a combat heavy game. Like all of the bosses normally boil down to just being more more puzzles in the guide of in the guise of a combat encounter than literally a combat yeah. encounter. Um, because that, that's why Zelda bosses until Breath of the Wild didn't. Uh, I hope I hope I'm not going to say something wrong, but they didn't really have health bars. It was just like you got to do X, then Y, and then hit the I and do that three times. Then you go into phase two and hit his face three times, and then you win. Like it's they're puzzles more than they are like I got to play, use my favorite weapons to defeat this boss my favorite way. Yeah. 
instead of like no health bar because I, I know what you mean like whereas each zelda boss is like a phase and then like each phase is kind of like a puzzle leading up to like maybe you'll stab its eye once and that'll do some damage but here it's like oh this enemy is cooled this and here's a health bar and here's a stamina bar hit them enough times to like stun them and then you can probably take them down and they've got like specific combos you have to learn like that sort of thing like it uh, the comparison that jumps to my mind is i hate to say dark souls but because it uses r1 r2 combat that's always what comes to mind first then like when did we stop using square as an attack button that, that makes me sound like a, a an old person but <laughs> it's just i don't i don't know when we swapped over from that i'm the sort of person where like if you ask me like like I like when you say that R1 and R2 are the are the melee attack buttons in Dark Souls. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. But I've also just recently played played Neo, where it's square, square and triangle. triangle. Yeah. So so normally, like that's the sort of thing where I acclimate to it really quickly, and I don't really have a preference. Like I, I, after like 60 seconds, I stop thinking about it. I'm like, oh, that's how you attack. Done. Yeah, it's 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 good so far though. I, I wish I had a bit more like. As I'm playing, I'm like, yeah, this is really good. Like, I can't wait to talk about it. But when it comes to actually talking about it, it reminds me kind of of the situation I had when I reviewed Trials of Mana. And I gave that an eight, and I really enjoyed that. And then when we talked about it on the podcast, Adam was like, oh, so what do you think of this, this, and this? And I'm like, yeah, they were good. It was good. I enjoyed it. Combat's good. Characters are good. Funny looks good. In fact, it's very similar criticisms, but I was just sort of... I, I just knew where I stood on it. And that was that. It hasn't done anything to make me go, wow, yeah, this is the game. This is the game I want to be playing right now. It's just sort of, this is fun. Uh, hopefully it gets a bit more in-depth and I enjoy it more. But, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I there's a few games where I, I play it. And my my main takeaway is just kind of like, eh, it was fine. Like, I didn't dislike it. it was, But I haven't thought about it much since beating it or since putting it down. Yeah, uh, there's been a few of them this year, but this is probably the the one that jumps out well i guess that's because i'm playing it now but i don't think i'll come away from it going wow what a game like why didn't i get the collects edition of that like i'm just sort of like cool good game so yeah so so adam who does the most of the news stories on the site has been covering this game because it's kind of squarely in our fringe it's not an rpg but we'll cover it anyway territory (laughs) i like it like squarely in our fringe i think that's (laughs) oxymoronic uh that was deliberate but (laughs) So I don't know if we're going to write a review on this. We didn't get uh, access to it. It's 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 not like one of those things where it's like, this is a, it's not like Cyberpunk, the other December release where it's like, this is something we have to cover. Like, yeah. it's kind of like, it's kind of like if someone plays it and wants to talk about it, like it, it, it would fit alongside, again, Zelda, which we do cover. I, just I think it's, you and Josh have both talked about it in the past, having like, said that you think it looks good and i i would genuinely recommend it to most people i think it is a really fun game but i'm only six hours in as well so like i i sort of think like it's one of those games yeah it's one of those games where it's like i could see myself if there's like a gap in the first half of next year squeezing it in like for a week and a half but next year has like some stuff hitting fairly early like we have a couple like february march releases uh like bravely default and uh i want to play cold steel 4 on pc so we're rides at two though I'm yeah, probably yeah january um uh east nine is apparently getting a demo soon because like there was like some leak 
that um, like it was added to the store just hasn't been like actually released yet. So, hmm. yep. So this is the game I wanted to get to, but I do think that my December is like my November was all consumed by Yakuza, and my December will probably be all consumed by Cyberpunk. <laughs> so, oh yeah, next next week is gonna be good. I cannot yeah. wait. Uh, did, did were you have you touched anything else in this last week, or was it mostly uh, Immortals? It's it's been Immortals for the past day, I think, and then before that, it was playing Devil May Cry Five, but not really like wanting to, which, which sounds bad. Hmm. But whenever I'm on the fringe of like, oh, you've made me say fringe now. Whenever something's like about to come out that I know I'm gonna really really want to play and is gonna take up my time, I just can't focus. Like before the last was part two came out, I must have jumped between like five games just like for no reason, just like yeah, play a bit of this, play a bit of that. And I know that Cyberpunk is next week. So I'm just like, oh, I just can't focus on anything. In more in all fairness, Immortals is kind of the perfect junk food game in the fact that I'm just playing it. I'm just running around doing objectives and not really thinking about it too much. Uh, so it's like it's plugging that gap kind of perfectly, I'd say. It's keeping my interest enough that I want to keep playing it, but not enough that it's like, oh, I could go for 100% on this. Like, I don't care that much. Yeah, you're, you're putting it down as the moment Cyberpunk shows up at your door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you're going to put it down early. You'll have your disc tray empty. So you don't have to take the time to take it out. <laughs> um, I just want to say this is this is a very childish comment, but like whenever Immortals Phoenix Rising, like, what a pretentious mouthful of a name. I just hate it. It's gods, gods and monsters are just simple, straightforward, not too flashy. And then feel like we need some we need something that like oversells the game and its title alone. And we gotta misspell Phoenix for our Well, reason. I think Gods and Monsters there's actually some like uh basically Copyright. yeah, some like like name like ownership issues with that. I don't know. Gods and Monsters right. feels very feels Apparently, very like generic but there's something like that i guess <laughs> ubisoft claimed that it's that it was an artistic choice they always wanted to I, do I think, yeah i i think they did say that they uh they they uh they rejected that that thought but there was murmurs about it <laughs> but then the claim was the monster energy drink were like we oh that's what it was monster energy drink. that's what it was i, I was like it was something yeah. what was it again that's, that's <laughs> dumb like monster hunter where you're hunting down cans of rehab <laughs> <laughs> it's like I wouldn't mind, but it is just the Immortals bit I don't like. I, I know that the misspelling of Phoenix is annoying if you're just trying to Google it or whatever, but like, it bugs me because Phoenix Rising is a fine fine name. That'd be cool. I'd be fine with that, but it's just Immortals Phoenix Rising. It's just a mouthful. Just, it is. I mean, Worst you, you, could, you could explain in a way like, oh, they're, they're gods. And, but still, I'm just like, uh, something about the <laughs> name, like, you can have irrational, irrational opinions. I just don't, I don't, irrationally don't like Immortals Phoenix Rising, what a bad name. I actually saw, um, before it actually arrived at my door, I saw this Twitter comparison video that was like, all the similarities with Breath of the Wild. And it, it, bug, it bugged me in two ways, because it's like, a game can take inspiration from another and still be its own thing. And like, Immortals is still its own thing completely. But then I watched the video and I was like, holy crap, some of them, they were just not even trying. So, now, like, to be, yeah. to be devil's advocate, though, I mean, Breath of the Wild has the Century Towers that basically Ubisoft open world games uh, That's true. Yeah. popularize. So, I mean, you can say, oh, it's kind of shameless, but I mean, 
for as much as Breath of the Wild innovated, obviously it took a lot from other open world games in the genre too, even if... Yeah, so. I completely agree with that. That, that. that was my first reaction when I saw it. I was like, my God, like so many games borrow from so many other games. Why does it need to be a thing every time it happens? But then it's, it's just weird little things like... Not not weird like a conspiracy theory, but weird like surely they could have done this in a slightly different way to avoid it. But it's like like I said earlier, you do these things that are essentially like shrines, and at the end of them, you get an uh, an item that you can collect enough of to upgrade your stamina, and then you find like uh, it's it's just it's just bizarre. Like going going wasn't around. There, wasn't there a comparison video? I, I I remember seeing that video back when this was first announced, or. So several months now, like there's a sort of puzzle where you're like rolling balls into little divots in a certain yeah. order. And I'm just there's like, them. I'm, I was just kind of like, so that's like a, couldn't they have used the same like idea with a different coat of paint? Yeah. Rather than literally like the same, like you, you always hear people say disparagingly say like, oh, it's just X. Y is just X with a different coat of paint. But this is just kind of like, this is just the same thing in a different room, like with the same yeah. color paint or something like that. Like they didn't even bother changing out the paint. I think the the worst example for me is it just because it seems so uninspired, but you have you get this ability, you find these braces later in the game. Uh well actually really early in the game, now I think about it. They're they're Heracles' strength and you equip them and then you get an ability that lets you lift up rocks, which is like the uh I think it's stasis they call it in breath of the wild but it has like almost the exact same look and it functions in the same way where it's not actually phoenix lifting it it's like a like a line of energy lifting it that buzzes with like electricity as you do it and i, I just saw that and i'm like it's just that is that is so yeah, know. That, that's the same thing like you, you yeah you could have just like changed how the just have it functionally work exactly yeah. the same but then just make it like look different have have phoenix lift it with one hand or something yeah and it, it, it's just little stuff like that uh and i've said it from the start that if you're gonna take inspiration from a game then breath of the wild is a fantastic game to do it with but i i don't think that immortals like really needed to take inspiration from like breath of the wild like i think their focuses are completely different so when i think of what we i learned like, about that with the uh with the combat yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's it's combat focused here. It's not combat focused in Breath of the Wild, but I wouldn't play them like the same way anyway. When I'm looking around the environment of Immortals, it looks amazing, but like I don't have this desire to explore it like I do in Breath of the Wild. I don't want to like climb a cliff just to see if there's anything waiting up there, if there's any special foods, or if it's just like a part of the environment. Like here, it's just like okay, the map kind of tells me what is what everything is like maybe there's a puzzle here but it would have already told me so like it's just it's just a completely different vibe and it kind of annoys me because i wish they'd just strayed a little bit further away from it just to avoid the comparisons that is one thing that maybe that's boiling it down too much but like isn't that like typical ubisoft where it feels like if, if there's something on the map to find here it'll show up on your map like there'll be an icon or Nintendo yeah, seems exactly. like they're more likely to say like we'll we'll tuck something interesting away and we might not tell you about it. It just makes me. Some people might very... say like, well, there's nothing interesting to find in Breath of the Wild. I'm like, okay, that's that's fair. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't agree with that. I think Breath of the Wild is a game I'm very fond of, and I also think it's one of the one of the only games that has made me stick around after to just explore, just to look around, just to be a part of that world. Because I don't really have time for it to be to be honest. Like I jump between games so much that. 
I, I don't tend to stick with one, but Breath of the Wild maybe go like, no, I want to climb up that mountain and see what's up there. Like it's just, it's just fun to do so. Uh, and in Immortals, it's like, why would I bother? Yeah, like, yeah there's nothing here. Uh, I think one of the things it has done to relate to Breath of the Wild is it makes me think that Breath of the Wild Two, I really would like it if they set it somewhere different. Because as I was playing Immortals, I was thinking about Breath of the Wild, and I was like, the magic of that world is that it was something so new, and like exploring that world was so like, I've never seen anything like this. This is so cool. This area. And if they just set it in Hyrule again, it's like, okay, I've done this before. You well, know, like... already know that they're setting in Hyrule again. I just... I I just wish they weren't, like... Or if they're going to make it, like, a really weird, twisted version of it, like... I guess we don't know enough about it, but that, that's just my big hope. That there's some some sort of new section of that, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you, George, for giving us... Somehow we squeezed 25 minutes out of... <laughs> Phoenix Rising. Bleh. No, but it's it's a game I'm interested in, but it's just probably not going to make it this year for me. All right, so Adam, you've been playing a few games that did not come out recently. Well, actually, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, that came out in early November? Or was that late yes. October? Early November. So um, I do know that, or actually, I think I know, James talked about that game on the podcast. Josh did. Sorry, Josh. Yeah, um, waited yet. So, uh, to, to explain my confusion, sometimes the staff comes in a staff chat and we talk about the games, but it's not a podcast. So I remember him to be like, "Was that was that a recording session or was that just chatting?" <laughs> so, so I, we did hear Josh's uh, impressions on Sakuna. So maybe you don't need to you don't need to go through like the whole like framework and setup, but you've been putting a few hours into it. So I just don't know like if you wanted to share like what your main major takeaways were. So basically, um, I am honestly not that far into the game. It's it has a really cool. I think the the thing that's immediately cool to me is the aesthetic. It's like a cell shaded style with you know stylized character models and things like that. And it's got really cool art in terms of like the the seasons pass in the game, where it goes from spring to summer to fall to winter, and it just looks really nice. There's really good shading and really cool environments and backgrounds so it's a really nice looking game and it's also kind of relaxing in a way because it's not it is an rpg but a lot of it is like farming and with the with the rice growing and it it's sort of like it's it's work but it kind of feels like there's like a rhythm to it or you have to you know it's almost calming in a way to do it that way and then the battle structure of the game is you kind of go out, you explore, and that's where you do your side scrolling and fighting. But that never lasts for too long. You always come back to do more farming. So there's a balance to the game that I think is neat or interesting in that you go out to explore in these explorable 2D side scroller field areas, but never for too long because then you always have to come back to farm and eat. And so I'm used to games where you just you can spend hours like exploring or or running through the game and uh in this game you can't really do that because you always have to go back to to tend to your rice and also to eat so it, it that takes a little little bit of getting used to um i kind of have no idea what i'm doing with the rice growing they give you like tips and tricks and i think josh might have mentioned this but like there's a part of it where they're like you need to fill up this your field your plot with water about up to your ankles is good 
And so like you literally have to fill up the plot with water, then go move your character model into it. And like, is it up to my ankles? Like, I'm not sure. Is that high enough, low enough? And I don't know. And then when you're planting your seeds, you it's you you have to plant them basically anywhere you want. And you kind of have to line them up yourself. And the, the game will tell you if you planted them too close to each other or too far from each other. So it's 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 just kind of a lot of it feels almost like a good simulation in a way just figuring out like am i doing this right is it going to work out well this time maybe i should change it and do it this way instead it gets more complicated when you add things like fertilizer and things like that to it but otherwise i'm enjoying it now i i come back in like six months and adam will be like knee deep into uh one of the like, <laughs> sims or or hell he'll go off the deep and be in like factorio or something like that <laughs> i've always wanted like I've, I've stated this before and i'm just going to keep parroting myself because i never actually follow through but i've always wanted to like find like the sim game for me like i want to come on here and like talk about euro truck simulator 3 and how like i designed <laughs> like this super perfect like setup because sometimes that sort of stuff can be like engaging some people say like mm-hmm. i don't know how you find they think find, find a game out of this but I know it's the same rewarding experience that you might find, like if you're like in a career that you really like or something like that. I think my main takeaway so far with this is that you kind of have to just accept the first time you do the rice growing, you are going to suck at it. Like it's not going to go well. So if you're the type of person where has like a perfectionist, like I have to do it perfect the first time and have to be optimal and min max and all that, it's probably going to just frustrate you. Um, so you can't go into it with that mindset. Um, there is an RPG element to it as well, the rice growing, in that, like, for example, with your plot of your land, the first time you have to plant seeds, you're, it's just kind of freeform. Like, here's this, you know, I don't know, 15 meter by 15 meter plot of land, and you have to plant seeds wherever you want into it. And they have to be close to, to each other, but not too close. But then if you do that enough times, eventually you'll gain like a a farming skill, which actually overlays a grid on the field to make it easier next time. So it's sort of like a simulation, like you're getting better at it and it's going to be a little bit easier now the next time you do it because you you can see the grid now and you couldn't see it before. Same thing with like the water level. I just unlocked a skill that basically tells me like if the water level is at 10%, 20%, 30% before I had to just sort of gauge it. Um, And it's, and similar things with like the threshing of the rice and the hauling of the rice, they're just kind of more tools and tricks to make it easier for you. And that kind of, it, it kind of feels like you're getting better at it, even if it's just the game making it easier for you. But that's sort of how simulations work in a way. Well, isn't that, so uh, cool. not not to get philosophical, but isn't that how RPGs work? Like, oh, I put an extra yeah, exactly. strength, <laughs> now I'm stronger or whatever. I haven't actually exactly. gotten any better at the game, but uh, if you like RPGs and you're okay with that sort of abstractedness of uh, systems that don't work that way in real life, I suppose, like, I'm totally on board with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think uh, I'm not far enough to really have any other insight on the game too much it is just it just it seemed different enough from every other game out there that i was like i want to try this out because it's kind of doing its own thing so i guess i maybe should talk about the other game i played this last couple of weeks and that is fire emblem shadow dragon and the blade of light so what this is if you hadn't heard is this is the very first fire emblem game the original one and it came out in 1990 on the famicom in japan 
Obviously, that series didn't see a release in English in the West until the seventh entry on GBA, Game Boy Advance. So I'm the type of person, I, like most people my age in the West, I started my playing the series with that first English entry on, on Game Boy Advance, which was Blazing Sword. And since then, I pretty much have played nearly all the mainline games in the series. I'm a really big fan of the strategy RPG-ish of it and the style and everything else. But I hadn't played the original game. You know, I played the remake on DS and I knew the original game was old. So I was like, well, I played the remake. So I don't know if I need to play the original. But when Nintendo announced that they're going to be localizing this game, this original title, I don't, I don't think anyone expected that. that. That was sort of left field out of nowhere, right? Um, yeah. You don't, that's kind of cool that we've seen that a few times recently with like uh, uh, Trials of Mana, the original uh super famicom version getting an english localization uh just kind of getting seeing those old games that never got an english localization like get an official one rather than a fan translation so i was like you know what i want to play this i want to try it out i fully understand that this is the original game it doesn't have all the polishing and the experimentation and the you know and the fine tuning that has has come in the last 30 years so I went to the game with one of my favorite words. I went to, into it academically. Just like, I want to see how this it was like at the time. Um, I enjoyed it more than I expected to. And it's also more similar to the Game Boy Advance games than I expected it to be. It's just considerably stripped down. So the, the Switch version does have things that make it more palatable. For example, it has save states. And it actually creates one at the beginning of every turn. So even if you're not like actively using save states, if something goes awry in a turn, like, oh, I can just rewind two turns and, you know, start over partway through rather than at the very beginning. So, and you can also create your own save states. There's also a fast forward mode. So just kind of things to make the game easier uh, to play. But otherwise, the structure itself is very similar to the Game Boy games in terms of the map structure, very similar items, very similar battle system and mechanics in terms of how the how the weapons work and things like that. The game is is lacking quite a bit of the, I'll say, quality of life that you would normally expect with the series. And even in the very most basic sense, like, for example, if you click on an enemy, you cannot see their movement range. You just, it, there, that doesn't exist in the game. In, like, Fire Emblem Three Houses, you, all you have to do is literally click a button and then you can see, like, every unit's movement range all at once. You can't even see one unit's movement range in this game. You you kind of just have to what what you the only thing you can do instead is you click a unit and it'll give you their numerical movement stat, and then you can sort of count like how many units away am I, sort of thing. Also, that's, that's the sort no, of like, thing where I don't know if that's been implemented already, but that's the sort of thing where like I'd actually kind of like that to be a challenge though, like hardcore mode. Yeah, you can't see enemy unit ranges or something in next fire game or something like that. The other the other key one is that like in most Fire Emblem games, when you click when you go to initiate a combat sequence, it'll let you know here's how much damage you're gonna do, here's your chance to hit, and you know, your chance to crit and how much damage they're gonna return to you. You don't get that at all in this game. You when you go out to attack someone, there's no forecast at all. So you kinda have to know like you what your what your stats are, what your units generally if they're a strong unit or if they're a fast unit, if they're more likely to hit, if they're more likely to miss. Um, you can check all your unit stats and then you can sort of judge from there, but there's no quick and easy way to, to, to see that. 
So that's one of those things. Just like you kind of have to go into this game and just accept that's how it was. There's now, no I have color. To, I have it's not convenient. Since, since it is an older game, I'm, I'm wondering about two things. One, how's the variety in terms of like enemy unit types, map types? Because I'm assuming they're pretty pared down. Yeah, it's the 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 only objective in the game is to capture castles with Marth. So there's no like defend the border or flee in this many turns or, or some of those other types of uh, maps you get in more modern games. So it just kind of go from your starting point to where the fortress is on the map to clear all the enemies and claim it with Marth. So that's just kind of how it was. There's still some fairly decent map design in terms of like this map has a few rivers and you can either cross the river like on foot, like through the water. You can only move very slowly through it or you can take a bridge and it's become, it can become like a choke point. There's forests and mountains that kind of have similar, uh, you know, functions. And then there is, there are terrain effects. So, you know, it's smart to have certain units hide away in forests when they're, if they're there, if they're going to be attacked, because then you have like a 20% chance to dodge. So I was, it's actually like, I wouldn't say it's like great if you compare it, you know, apples to apples with a more modern strategy game. But like considering this was made 30 years ago, like that's, you know, it's, yeah, if they yeah, had if it put together the most like, basic, yeah, if like you told how, me that the how does this game going to work? Were like something that got added later in the series be like yeah that makes sense like they hadn't considered those and until the third entry or whatever but no they had like that sort of stuff and even the fact that like you can move across rivers but it slows down your, your movement range that's for for an nes game, well, famicom game that's not a that's that's pretty uh, that was pretty uh ingenious at the time maybe not ingenious but you know it has has some thought behind it has some cleverness behind it mm-hmm. so like i think this is a really cool release for people like me who maybe like to scholastically check out like i want to see how this sort of how these ideas were implemented like fire emblem didn't exist before this game so like how did they decide to put this together from scratch like how did how how, like what mechanics were in place from the very beginning and then i can you know and maybe as cliche as it is see how it grew from there but is that in place no that didn't come into place until the fourth game which is genealogy of the holy war and also, there are no like supports. Uh, supports, they didn't really exist. They sort of is- existed in Genealogy of the Holy War. Well, they, they did, and that also that game also has you know the generations system with like offspring and things like that. But there still weren't no like there weren't any like support conversations as as you know them now. Common to the series, it was just kind of mechanical. Instead, those didn't exist until the sixth game in uh, Binding Blade. So this game has nothing like that at all. It's just strategy, combat. I I did kind of like the art style. It's very retro, obviously, being a Famicom game. But, you know, it, it's sort of charming in its own way. I, at, least, at least I find it to be. How's the story? Now, I'm just wondering if it's like super bare bones or what. It's, to me, the Shadow Dragon story is almost, uh, like I've, I've heard it several times, you know, like you, I played the I played this DS remake, and it's also kind of like the backdrop of all things to Tokyo Mirage Sessions, obviously being a spinoff. But it's it's very basic, and a lot of the map just kind of boil down to, you know, this town or this castle is under attack by the forces of an evil dragon, and 
you need to defeat them and liberate them. There's a little bit of, you know, personal stakes in there. Like there's a, there are characters who are fighting for the wrong side because they have been, you know, they're in a bad situation where they can't afford to basically betray them until you, until you free them, or maybe they're doing it for money, or maybe they're doing it because their father has different viewpoint than them. So there's a little bit of, you know, it's not just all everyone you're fighting is bad sort of thing. And that's also, that also plays into a part the recruiting system in the game, which just like the Game Boy Advance games, sometimes there's characters on the enemy side that you, if you talk to them with the right unit, they'll join your side. So, you know, it's, it's simple, but I think it's effective enough for what it is. Just that's an, that's another thing that I yeah that I probably wouldn't have been surprised if you told me that enemy recruitment didn't show up till later. Like no, that was that was here at the start too. Like they designed that into the game from entry number one. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now I'm kind of waiting for. Oh, go ahead, George. I was just gonna say I, I do find it really interesting to have them talk about this because I think there's a lot of merit to re-releasing games to find out like how they used to tick to to do it like academically as you say, but then. For for my money, and this this just really makes me sound childish in places my age, but I I would definitely tend to prefer most people just go okay let's let's remake it let's remake it and do the same sort of stuff but like all of the quality of life features you can imagine, you know like that that's the way I view it. But I find it like very interesting to hear Adam talk about it, like to look at it academically out of just like an interest for it. I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I no, think, like, maybe re- you're waiting for the other shoe to drop <laughs> yeah I think we're all kind of waiting for that but one last comment <laughs> on the remake idea is that I always feel like remakes should be on the table but they like l- let's say Shadow Dragon got another remake for Switch 2 3D graphics and it's amazing like I still think that there's value in having the original game especially like now that it's translated playable you know, kind of for even, even just just so people can play it and also just for kind of like you know it's it's history to, to sound hokey again uh so adam about that other shoe <laughs> so like i said i think it's really cool that nintendo basically went out of their way like let's release this classic game of one of our now tenpole franchises on switch but we're only going to sell it for four months and that just seems really weird to me i adam, it's not why, bewildering why, why would they do that it's not bewildering at all. Like the strategy here is very apparent. Like it makes the game a scarce release. And if you're if you're someone like me, if it wasn't a scarce release, you might be interested in buying it anyway. Just you know what? I'll just you know it's six dollars or something like that. I'll just buy it, try it out, see how I like it. But not everyone is me, obviously. And maybe I, I don't imagine this is maybe this is just an assumption, but there's probably not like a vast audience of people who are like yeah i'm really hyped for this game i'm gonna buy it day one sort of thing and so nintendo i think the 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 obvious strategy here is if we make it scarce and only available for a certain amount of time else it's gone forever more people who are tentative or on the fence or maybe even not even that interested in the game at all like well i better buy it now before i can't anymore so that's the strategy to basically try to boost sales uh by an artificial scarcity if you will and i artificial in the you know the truest sense of that word because there shouldn't be any reason for this digital version to be only sold for four months like this isn't like some limited edition package that you can only make so many copies of or 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 something like that like this is 
a brand new translation of the very first title of one of your tenfold franchises, like selling it for only a few months, just kind of rubs me the wrong way. This Especially, is the point they've done it as well. Like this, yeah, this they, isn't they, a one time thing. I could even, I, I, I find it almost barely even. I, I don't know the right way to put this, but like for the Mario 3D Mario collection. It's I, I almost barely can see it as slightly more justifiable there because those are re-releases, like they're games that have existed and were released already in the past. But like that still Even is like the most basic. You're, you're yeah, a waste like the most, devil's advocate there, right? Yeah, that's like the justified trying to like the most thin justification I can come up with. But it's just. It's especially off-putting when this game, Fire Emblem, Shadow Dragon, and the Blade of Light, has been available on the Japanese Switch Nintendo online service, whatever it's called, for like more than a year now already. So like, if you're Japanese, or you have a Japanese account, you can play it, and it's not going anywhere. It's there. You can buy You can Well, you don't buy it as far as subscription, but it's there. And then you have companies like Square Enix who's, who have released collections of their old titles like the Monica collection, the upcoming Saga collection, which are roughly the same, you know, about as old. Like those Legend of uh, Final Fantasy Legend games also came out in like 1990, 1991. And it's just going to be available for Switch, you know, next week or whatever. And, you know, it's going to be available digitally and you'll be able to buy it for as long as the Switch store is open. Now, that's a different topic entirely in terms of like entire stores available. But that's certainly preferable to. Four month. There's also that analog there about talking about remakes where it's like you can play Trials of Mana and now like the original game is also available through the collection of Mana for, for the three. Yeah, now three. the collection of Mana physical release was limited, which is, you know, that's maybe more, that's more, you know, I can understand that. It's, it's kind of a, a niche collector's item that isn't like a mass market item, but obviously the digital release is plenty available. There's no limitations on that. And also Sega, for you know, has done tons of Genesis collections um, on almost every platform, as well as like the Sega Ages releases, which are sort of like mm, souped-up version of classic games. And you know, I think that that series has ended now, but still, there's a good handful of Sega Ages classic releases that you can buy on Switch, and they're going to stay there for as long as the Switch store is available. Completely so just random, but Sega Ages was incredibly disappointing because they started with like. The old like uh, eight bit and sixteen bit games that like they'd already re released plenty of times before, and then they said, "Oh, we might do like Dreamcast games in the future if these games do well." When they're totally different audiences, and yeah. the Dreamcast games never happened because people didn't want to buy Sonic the Hedgehog two for like the sixth or seventh time. <laughs> See the thing. So, uh- if you're yeah. if you're like uh, if you're if you work in like a logical mode all the time, you'd be like maybe maybe your argument is well, Nintendo making the game scarce is actually doing them a service because then that means more people will buy it and that means it'll be more successful and then maybe they'll release more games like this and you'll be able to have ultimately more games available to them even if they're limited and it's like that's just tasteless at best. We're just like yeah. we're we're artificially boosting sales of these games artificially creating demand for these games by making them limited and that raises the success so we can do more yeah at that point you are just like you're just trying yeah you're not still that just doesn't disney voltish right um 
But like, it's it's just cool to me. Like, for example, I have not I I have not played games like Shining Force. Um, I have always wanted to, and I actually own it on PC. You can still buy it on PC. Um, you can buy it on a bunch of a bunch of the other collections, and it's just cool to know that it's available. And it, even though the game is very old, you can buy it and play it today. And then six months from now, which is not a long time, you won't be able to buy Fire Emblem anymore. It's just kind of like, I don't know. It's just, I wouldn't mind. It's very wrong. From now, it's like four months because it's in the, yeah. the end of March. Oh, yeah, I, I, I just meant like at six months in the future from now, just, you know, which isn't that long a time. At that point, this offer will have expired. And, and so. Because it's Nintendo as well. Like, imagine if EA pulled this sort of thing. Imagine if EA said, oh, I don't know. I can't think of the EA game. Well, okay, here, here's, said, here's, a good, here's a good example. Um, well, maybe it's not a good example, but it's the one most relevant to like what I typically play. Like I randomly earlier this year played through both Fallout 1 and Fallout 2. Last year I played through Baldur's Gate 1 and Baldur's Gate 2. Now those are ostensibly PC games. So like they were never even in the purview of ever having going to be limited releases. But imagine if Bethesda just said, like, we're going to put Fallout 1 and 2 on our store, our our, our very bad <laughs> PC store. They're only <laughs> available for a few months. Like, uh, then I I don't know. Like, I played those games because because I wanted to, not because I felt like I was going to, oh, here's my opportunity to. Like, how how I'm so gracious that the publisher has allowed me to enjoy this <laughs> thing that that released decades ago. And like paying for it too, like I don't know. Yeah, what a stupid idea! Like, well, it was good to was hear. There, like, was there another? Was it. there another Nintendo game that they did limited? There was Mario. Was there anything else? There was. It's technically not as bad. Well, I I reviewed it for Nintendo Insider, but they did that Super Mario Thirty Five where you have like oh it, right. Like you don't buy that. That's that comes free. But like, why would you put time into it, or like even like try and enjoy it for a long period of time, knowing that it's just going to disappear soon? Like maybe that's a defeatist attitude. But when I was playing, I was like, this is really fun. Like this could be like a mainstay Nintendo Switch Online thing that you get access to this. And they were just like, no, March twenty first. Like this doesn't exist now. Sorry if you enjoy it. At least you don't pay. But like it's still. Technically, you pay for Nintendo Switch Online, but it's it, I just I don't know what is up with Nintendo and doing that at the moment. And because it's Nintendo, there's just this attitude of like it's fine, that you know, just just leave them to it. It's like no, like call them out on it. Say it's dumb. Like it is dumb. It is dumb. The last thing I'll say about this is that like I still lament the loss of like Virtual Console, and you could argue maybe it just wasn't successful enough to keep around, but like. I just think the idea of Nintendo, who has a vast quality catalog of classic titles for you know decades now, that there was a good chunk of them available that you could just buy off of a catalog from your couch and play it on your Wii or your Wii U. Like that was really cool to me. Like this Fire Emblem game, you know, just old classic titles and you know obviously favorites as well, like Super Metroid or whatever. And it just seems like. Maybe this is maybe I'm, you know, a dinosaur yelling at a meteor or <laughs> on a beach yelling at the tide, whatever your metaphor is. But maybe that those though that type of setup just isn't largely successful to keep. So that's why they've kind of gone to like subscription services or um uh you don't see them much anymore, but like those retro console like collections, like the the, the NES and the SNES minis. 
So I, I just still, I, I just think it's personally being selfish for a moment. Like I, I think having like a digital catalog that you could buy from a console, like that, that's, I think that's great. But maybe, maybe that just didn't do it well enough. So I, I, that's why I keep my Wii U hooked up because I have a bunch of digital, like classic games that I can play on that and can't play them anywhere else, I guess. Oh, how do we transition from that bummer of an uh, of a statement? Well, we there was a scare um, earlier this week where for over 24 hours, the Vita's digital storefront did not work and people could not re-download any of their games. Tell me more about that, James. I actually did not know about this. So, um, yeah, uh, basically what happened is, and if you aren't still actively using your Vita, you probably haven't heard about any of this, but uh, basically Sony's been really poor when it comes to upkeep on any of the PSN aspects of the Vita. Like for a couple of weeks earlier this year, Killzone Mercenaries um, online multiplayer servers weren't working, so people assumed that they had just shut it down, not letting anyone know. It did eventually come back after several weeks, so people did, well, people are able to play it again now, and Actually, I'm kind of surprised the servers are still up for that game. Yeah, do people but, still play that? I mean, people realize that it both went down in the first place and then it went back up, so I assume people are playing it. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um reason I bring this up, though, is because it makes... I'm going to kind of tie this in loosely into the sense that there was a Vita game that released last week in Japan, a new Vita game. Physical game, uh, right? Yeah, uh, Labyrinth of Galleria, which for a while, I think both Adam and I weren't convinced was actually going to release because it was in development hell. That was a masterful segue, I must say, as well. Good, that, good was actually, that, was, that was pretty damn good. You, you host next week. <laughs> but yeah, so first off, before I even talk about the game itself, uh, usually we don't talk about like Fumitsu or like Japanese sales for games or sales in general um when we were talking about games but uh, i was curious like how this game was going to do in japan particularly the vita version and unfortunately it looks like it has completely bombed uh ps4 versions week one sales are under uh 9k and the vita game the vita version didn't even hit the top 30 and number 30 on the famitsu tracker is under 2.9k so the Vita version for first week has sold less than 3,000. And we don't know like if it's even like cross 2,000 or something like that, because we just don't know. Yeah, we, just, we just know the threshold it didn't meet. Yeah. So that's disappointing, because, uh, but not uh, entirely unsurprising. First off, as much as I'm enjoying playing it on Vita, I feel like this is like documented proof that NISJ doesn't necessarily, well, Nipponichi software like Japan doesn't really understand what the hell they're doing because there's no good reason why this game should release on the Vita instead of the Switch in Japan in the year 2020, especially considering the game, the, uh, um, especially considering that Labyrinth of Refrain already has a Switch port. The engine is on Switch. I, I just don't get it. It's like, again, as much as I'm appreciating the Vita version, you got to wonder, like, 
what was the rationale behind that? Like, by, by all means, make a Vita version, but to not make a Switch version for a dungeon RPG in the year 2020? Where Is Labyrinth Japan... of Refrain on Switch in Japan? Yes. Okay, so I was wondering if that was, like, something you could, like, wiggle out of there, but no, not really. It's like... I think I think between the Switch and the Switch, um, the Switch Lite, the system has sold like 16 million units in Japan now. I wonder how many well, how many months in a row has Switch been the top seller in Japan? It's several dozen, isn't it? Because PS4 say has it, been strongly number two. Yeah, I want to say that pretty much ever since the Switch has released, except for weeks where it's specifically been because of supply constraints, it's been the best selling system week by week in japan ever since launch and i saw this this is, a, this is a bit of a tangent but like ps5 finally overtook switch as a, as it launched like as top selling console i forget if that was worldwide or, or us but it's just the switch has been selling at a steadily high rate for a long time now which almost kind of almost quietly so yeah well i wouldn't say it's quietly so it's just that oh no like when, when it's selling so well week by week for so long, you just kind of forget, oh, yeah, this thing's a massive success. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I'm getting at. But anyways, so Latin for Galleria, um, like I Not said, on yeah, it, <laughs> people were worried about this one because for one thing, it was in development hell for a bit. Like it got announced in early 2019 and it was going to release in July of that year. Which was like at the time, people were like, oh, wow, this is only a few months before it launches. It must almost be done. And then it got delayed until it was supposed to be spring of this year. And then it got delayed indefinitely. And then just like a few months ago, it was announced, okay, it's releasing on November 26th. And yeah, so for perspective, Labyrinth of Refrain released in summer of 2016 in Japan. So it's basically been four and a half years since that game released for the sequel to happen. And I I don't, <laughs> even if it had released like in uh, July of uh, last year, that's still like a three-year development time for a dungeon RPG. And I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like that's a very long development time for a dungeon RPG using the same engine especially for a company like NASJ who tends to pump out games at a quicker pace, I feel like. And I remember when the game was first announced, like maybe three months, like, a, you know, this announcement sort of makes sense because if it's just borrowing most of the systems and mechanics in the first game, maybe they just not a lot of asset creation they have to do or whatever, but then, you know, it's delayed like more than a year after that. Yeah. But anyways, um, so people are definitely worried because of the development hell. And I think that might actually be tying into why the game hasn't been selling too hot on PS4. Though obviously part of it's also due to the fact that even in Japan, like most people don't play dungeon RPGs on like consoles. Like I, I'd even argue that it would have been a smarter idea to release it on like Steam for in Japanese only rather than Vita. Because I feel like this is one of those genres that actually probably does decent decently on PC over there. Probably would have sold more than a Vita version, but oh well. Um, 
who knows, maybe the game sales are going to get better over time. Because like, if you look at Amazon Japan, like the reception to the game has been very good, which um, obviously, and like, if you read many of the reviews, if you can read any of them, basically all of them are saying, wow, I'm, I'm actually impressed. I was worried because of how, how it was clearly having like development issues and all that though. I guess in retrospect, that might have just been more due to the fact that NAS was having issues with uh, the incredibly poor launch of the Sky RPG in Japan, the mobile game or something. So, uh, but let's talk about the game itself. Yeah, I was going to say, like, so what are your impressions of the game? So I'm only about 15 hours in, and while the overall structure of the game is very similar to the first one in the sense it's basically half a visual novel-esque story and then half the actual dungeon crawling uh, first off the character dynamics are very different uh you still have it, the um very kind of grim fairy tale-esque um well not even really fairy tale-esque at this point but you still have like the grim kind of atmosphere but the main dynamic between Eureka and Madame Marta or Malta is very, very different compared to the dynamic between uh, Luca and Dronia, in the sense that, well, first off, instead of, so, you know, uh, Adam, you know how, like, the story for Refrain mostly focused on Dronia and, like, kind uh, yep. of like, and kind of like how, and kind of like how the book, like, Tracty, is kind of like an afterthought to the game's plot. <laughs> like, there's not really any major reason for it to exist. It's more like a vehicle for this, like, justifying, like, this is why the game works this way. Yeah, I feel like so two things. One, the story in Galleria um, more heavily focuses on Eureka, who's the assistant to Malta or Marta, however we're going to Romanize the name. And she kind of has a similar character archetype to Luca, but she's obviously older. She's a bit more competent. She has, she's not being bullied as much, to put it one way. And Marta, she's, instead of being a pessimistic, cynical um, witch, uh, she's just like an old coot. And she's like, she can give like um, Eureka shit, but she's also like, she goes to bat for her because like one of the main conceits of the story at the beginning is is that Eureka goes to um Galleria after finding this posting for work to find um basically for searching for a missing item and she basically gets hired on by the um master of the house master of the um I guess the uh veranda where the uh game takes place in and the master of house visman is like really shady really a dick he he basically he just really really wants these magical items that can be found within the labyrinth and he just is like get it quicker get them quicker get them quicker he's like just a total douche and yet even though like marta is like obviously like giving Eureka some shit every now and then, unlike with Dronia, she's not being, she's not being like purposefully mean. It's more like teasing and it's much more lighthearted. And there's actually like a really nice dynamic between the two of them where you can tell that there's actually like, um, 
what's the best way to put it? it it's it's a lot more lighthearted at the beginning. Now, whether or not that's going to change going forward, it definitely feels like there's stuff like underneath the surface and very clearly, I'm only at the very beginning of the story itself. But uh, that's interesting. But um, I will say that, so Labyrinth of Refrain, so the the relationship between Drania and Luca in that game, it's sort of like off-putting at first, but eventually you realize like why that's the case. And it's like yeah. a key element to that game's story. Like there's a very specific reason for it. So I'm not like surprised that the, the that the that the relationship between characters in this game is different because I'm assuming they're gonna have a different story and a different like thematic behind it eventually. You know, you have to see what that's gonna be. But like the, the way that Dranya and Luca react, interacted in the first game was very unique to like this the, to the story behind all of that. So I'm not surprised that it's different now. Yeah, I will say one really interesting thing about the story though is the way that the main character, the player character, ties much more closely into the story, in the sense that so your little character who you're like a lamp. Yeah, you're basically a wandering soul that's been called forth. And so the way you explore the labyrinth in this time in this game, and you know how in the first one the idea was, okay, people can't go into this well's labyrinth because the mana would literally kill them. While the labyrinth in gallery is also filled with mana, the major conceit is is in order to enter this labyrinth, you have to go through a wardrobe, Narnia style, and the wardrobe itself is called the like human consuming wardrobe or whatever it's called. <laughs> like, whatever. Okay. And, and basically you can enter it, but humans cannot leave it. So the way that it works is, is that actually the player character, the lantern, or as the game calls it, Correcto, or whatever they're going to translate it as, basically marked, uh, Marta kind of like links your um your player character's soul with Eureka's so that she can see what you're seeing as you're going through the dungeon. So instead of you know how the game progressed in like refrain, the way they figure out what happened is they just open up the book and read about it. In this case, however, instead it's Marta will ask um Eureka, okay, so what happened? Because she specifically saw it. And there's like an actual connection between the player character and Eureka, there's like this adorable sprite where so when so where when the uh, player character isn't in the lantern, it's just like a chubby little like spirit orb with like chuggy like chubby um stubby little um legs, and there's this like adorable sprite where he just like is laying on like Eureka's head and just like his eyes like half drooped and he's like. I'm just gonna chill here. <laughs> so, and then there. Yeah, in, in the first labyrinth of refrain, like I almost forgot the book existed as a character because they weren't really one. <laughs> yeah, they definitely do a much better job of uh, having the player character spotlight in it without making like you're in the story, but just enough so you don't forget about them. But it also isn't like that they're stealing the spotlight. It's just like there is obviously more of a dynamic here. And I'm interested to see how that like will evolve as you go through the story. Um, as for the gameplay, one thing that's really interesting is that they've really changed a lot with the way you actually explore the dungeon. 
Uh, and a lot of these changes at first, I wasn't entirely sure if they were actually new or if I just forgot about them from refrain. Because you know how when you play a sequel and then you're playing through it and like a change feels so natural that you don't necessarily realize it was a change at first. Yeah. So I'm just going to ask, am I crazy? Or was jumping not in? Well, no, jumping was in Labyrinth of Refrain. It was. Uh, but so first off, um, from the very get-go, the way that the maps are designed in the Labyrinths themselves very much feel like they're um, considering players that have already finished Labyrinth of Refrain. There's considerable, well, I wouldn't say considerably more complexity, but there's definitely more complexity from the start than there was in Refrain. And there's much more emphasis on using the uh, wall breakdown mechanic and whatnot from the beginning in more interesting ways. Um, and I think the thing that highlights this the most is that there's a new feature where some walls will have this kind of red symbol on them that looks kind of like the labyrinth of the, the uh, witch's symbol that you like etch onto a doll when you like instill life on them. If there's one of those on a wall and you break it down, it'll shift from red to blue and that wall will stay broken no matter how many times you enter or leave. That's and, new, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that can act as a sort of um, shortcut. So what might happen is, is that you're going through a dungeon, you see a wall that has that, you just instinctively break it down, you look across and it's like, uh, okay, there's a gap here and there's another wall across that gap that if it was broken down, I could jump to. So I'm guessing on the other side of that wall is that symbol. So if I find a way to get to the other side of that wall, I can make myself a shortcut. And I'm not sure if, I don't remember if Refrain had this, but you can actually eventually unlock the ability to just like open up your map and leave your own like little notes for sectors if you want to like go back later or if it's, or if you notice something about it that isn't necessarily marked on the map itself was that in the first one i think so yeah. I, I i know i had played our dungeon crawlers with that system for sure i just don't remember if that was refrain or another one i think it was in yeah. refrain yeah then there's also like um this new thing where there might be channels of water that you can pop into but every time you step, you'll, you'll take damage. And it's funny because the actual conceit of it is, oh, if it's normal water, it wouldn't be any trouble. It must be cursed water. So I'm going to have to give you some protection for that, which is funny. Um, there's also like actual like bodies of water you can dive into. And I've seen those tiles now, but I haven't unlocked the ability to actually jump into them. Uh, it did give me the option to jump into them, but I was like... I Hmm, I'm not sure if that's a good idea because I haven't gotten a specific upgrade for it. And sure enough, there's like a little notice on the wall right next to it saying, hey, maybe it's not a good idea to jump into water without preparation. It's like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, there's also like new abilities besides just like the water. There's also this new thing called like shine lights or I guess basically magical light where you can use some of your reinforcement to uh kind of shine this magical light around you which first off will kind of show you hidden things like uh, i'm in the third dungeon now and there's like some platforms that you need to jump onto that you can't see unless you have the magic light active so you kind of need those to see where you need to jump uh there's also um some puzzles where it's like 
like the very first time you use it, there's um, a bunch of paintings and you have to figure out which ones you need to interact with to unlock a door to proceed forward. And until you get the magical light, you're basically running around like a chicken with your head cut off and you, you won't be able to solve it. There's also um, the most recent thing I ran into that I don't have the upgrade for yet is that there's a um, new, um, unlike the blind areas and refrain, there's now like additional like dark areas where it's like really creepy. Like you start to enter it and there's like this like demonic kind of like opening to it. Very like demonic, organic, creepy as hell. Um, yeah, so the dungeon crawling, even like at the very beginning, it's pretty interesting. And I have like seen bits and pieces of other like mechanics to come, uh, mostly because I was spoiler alert watching like this one Japanese streamer like go through a post game dungeon. So I did see some mechanics that will show up later. Uh, the dungeon crawling is very good. Um, it's funny because even though I'm only like 15 hours in, I'm already in the third dungeon. But unlike Labyrinth of Refrain, the dungeons themselves don't necessarily have their own like storyline to them, if that makes any sense. Because like Labyrinth of Refrain, I feel like each individual dungeon kind of had a story to it. Yeah, at least each dungeon had a theme. I mean, yeah, part of the not, story. Yeah, that's not necessarily the same here, and it feels like the story is very heavily condensed to outside of the dungeon crawling for the most part. You still have like. So far, there's like been a few NPCs in the dungeons, and maybe later on there will be a bit more of that story dynamic that we saw in Refrain. But so far, it definitely feels like there's a much larger emphasis on story as, as a whole, but that emphasis is taking place outside the dungeon. Because even so early on, I've already met a ton of NPCs, and I know there's plenty more. There's, and huh. it's weird because. <laughs> This is the other reason why I'm kind of upset that it seems to bomb because like between all the voice acting, you can tell it must have been really expensive to develop this game. Like even if it wasn't necessarily like the gameplay or the graphics fidelity itself, like there's there's tons of voice acting, there's so many characters, it's like, huh, that must have been kind of expensive. But um new things for the combat. So obviously you do have like all the facets from the first game though I haven't unlocked all of them yet cuz much like the first game you start off with like six that you can choose from and then you have to uh spend mana to unlock more later on. I don't uh, know if this I don't know if this um will be the case in English or maybe I'm just mistaken but it, it I felt like the 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 facets they gave them different names even if they had like a similar um like, you know, purpose or art in the sequel. Like, I believe that bow and arrow users were called, like, Mad Raptor in the original game, and I think they're different now. I might be mistaken. Yeah, I haven't really paid too close attention to that, to be honest. It was, it was one of those things I didn't notice at first, and then I kind of, like, was reading about it, and I'm like, wait a minute, those, I, didn't, I think the name changed. I might be completely wrong here, but I think they, I think they did, but I don't know if that's important or, you know, means anything. <laughs> So one thing I will say is, is that there are some additions to the combat. Obviously, um, there's new facets. Haven't really messed with most of them yet. But the major new change to the combat, I'd say, is there's a few new attributes for weapons. Like, I do know that my hammer dude, whatever his like facet name is, would be in English. Uh, one of his hammers gave him a different attribute that I don't recognize from the first game. 
that seems to be pretty effective overall. And that's one thing I've noticed. But the major thing that's new is that you know how the different packs would give you a certain number of donum skills or however you pronounced it in refrain and how yeah. most most of the skills would be coming from the pact and not necessarily the people in the pact. Um, there's a new feature called Liberation, which kind of acts like a super gauge, where as you're dealing damage, once it fills up, you have access to a all-powerful, like kind of, not a donum skill, but basically just a skill that utilizes the bar. And it can either be like a massive buff, it can be a massive healing, it can be debuff on the enemy, or it can be a massive attack. And it's kind of interesting how that's there because it does offer like a, uh, it's just a little bit like one more wrinkle to the overall package for what it's worth. So that's interesting. Um, again, there's like, it's, there are some donum skills that seem different. I'm not sure if they were actually represented in the first game or not. I'm sure there are some that are entirely new. So that's not a huge surprise. I'm just not sure if the ones I've seen yet are new. But um, it's it's the type of game where, uh, there the the first game was flexible enough where there might have been certain skills that just because of the way you set up your team you never used, yep. so you don't know if they're there if they were there or you just didn't use them. Yep. They yeah. There. So far, I'm enjoying the game quite a bit. Uh, I we're, I'm probably going to be talking I, about this game a lot in the. I have the a games. just a quick general question. Um. Labyrinth of Refrain, the storyline took a while to get going because a lot of like the first, I would say even almost the first half of the game was almost just like setting things up. Does Labyrinth of Galleria feel similar where like has a lot actually happened in the 15 hours you played or does it just feel like set up? It's still set up, but yeah. it's worth noting that. Okay, so. Like I said, I did watch a bit of a Japanese streamer. I avoided the story content, but they finished the base game in 92 hours, which is probably longer. longer. Than yeah, that, that's definitely longer than the original. In fact, I'd say that's probably longer than even doing the post game in the original, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they also did the post game, and with quite a bit of grinding, they finished at 142 hours. Sheesh. So, yeah, this is definitely looking like it's significantly longer in the first game and obviously that would track if it's much more of a focus on story and there's more characters and whatnot so i'm curious to see how i'll feel about the uh, balance between the story and the gameplay I, I feel like i'll probably end up being more positive about it than you'll eventually be whenever or if this gets localized just because i'm much more of a fan of visual novel type storylines in the first place but who knows? I, I'm 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 definitely enjoying it so far, and I feel like I'm confident in saying that despite the development issues, this is still a very 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 good game. Like if you like Refrain, you're, it's worth picking this up whenever it does get localized. And very clearly, based off of the other like Japanese impressions, people tend to agree. So that's that's good. At a at a bare minimum, I'm just glad that this turned out good. So. Um, I guess if anyone has any more questions or uh, when when do we expect to see this stateside or do we? Uh, I'd imagine it'll probably come over because I feel like Labyrinth for Refrain did well enough on both like PC and Switch that would justify like localizing it. Um, 
Though I guess the question does become, when will we see it? And especially if this has a, high, a larger emphasis on story, that does mean it might take longer for the localization to happen. Uh, especially if there's like a ton of different characters that they need to dub. Though, hey, they might just not give it a dub this time, which would be disappointing because Labyrinth of Refrain's dub was actually fantastic in my opinion. But who knows? Who knows? It does, it, if you do end up feeling more strongly on it once you're able to put more time into it, I wonder if it is one of those things where it's like, well, whenever this drops, we have to start. It, it contends the moment that it comes over here in terms of uh, if it's going to be 2021 or 2022. Yeah. Basically what list it ends up on. Yeah. I mean, and I do want to, to emphasize that I'm enjoying this quite a bit. And I do feel like even if it is taking a while for a story to get going at this moment, it still feels better than the buildup felt and refrain if that makes any sense like hmm. well unfortunately only uh you and adam have played it but i, I know you both thought very highly of refrain so yep i mean it was on our uh best of uh 2018 list so that's something to say uh but yeah definitely gonna be a regular on this podcast uh, it feels like especially if i have more I want to talk about though obviously if the story I the further I get clearly there's going to be twists and turns I won't want to talk about because spoilers Wait, yeah, you, you, yeah you can talk about just like how like you know your emotional response to it or or how yeah. the quality you think it presents even if you don't go directly into the yeah. what the plot if beats I, specifically if for are. chance anyone's listening to this podcast that does know Japanese and likes dungeon crawlers and has a PlayStation 4 or a Vita please please import the game <laughs> All two of you. It's not doing well. <laughs> it's not doing well. It deserves to do at least better than this. James, you should buy a PS4 copy. It has cross save. I I just might. Oh. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, probably talk about it more next week. Uh, though speaking of another RPG I've been playing, um, we got a review copy for the Taikuno Tatsujin Rhythmic Adventure Pack on Switch, which is interesting because it's not one singular game. It's literally a Switch port of the <clears throat> second and third 3DS Taiko games. Okay, Just talk, to me, talk to me like I'm five. I do not know anything about this game except that it has like a cute little drum mascot. So what is this well, game? First off, a fun fact is that uh, Dong and Katsuchan are actually actually um designed by uh yoko taro's wife i forget her name I, I feel bad about that but yeah the character designer for those two characters married to yoko taro um so the taikuro tatsujin series is very obviously a rhythm game series where it's simple in its execution but because it's based around a drum it's much less about memorizing note patterns and more like muscle memory because there's only like two colors is red and blue so like two buttons and it's all about like recognizing patterns and just kind of like learning the muscle memory to to uh utilize them compared to other rhythm games uh this one <clears throat> there's they're billing it as an rpg in the west and it is like if you play like these single player story like storylines of these games which they exist uh, the way it's framed is that you are doing these songs, and the longer you do combos, the more your attacks will come out. If you mess up a combo, then enemies will attack. 
or we'll, we'll attack faster. There's um, levels, there's equipment, there's stats. It, there's random encounters, like the way that the battles happen are random encounters. So it's very so much... it's it's more of an RPG than Puyo Puyo Tetris. Yeah, because it actually is an RPG. <laughs> and by the so, way, just because uh, I felt bad, just because we left it hanging. Uh, character designer is Yukiko Yoko. So right, I wanted to, yeah. I, I wanted to put the name on there. But yeah, um, it's fun. I will say that the translation is. Like as a whole package is pretty disappointing. Like I posted on my Twitter, like a uh, whenever you unlock anything, for whatever reason, the font that they use for like the song titles is completely different than the font they use for character dialogue in the RPG and the font they use for when you unlock stuff after songs. And both <clears throat> the fonts and the overall formatting is just. Embarrass, embarrassingly basic as hell. Like, mm. I'm not sure if you've seen, like, if you saw it, like, what I posted or not, but it's just doesn't look great. The formatting's really bad. Then there's actual translation issues in the storyline, which is weird because they had more than enough time to translate this, because even if they didn't have access to the Switch build, they have access to the scripts, the 3DS version's been out, the 3DS games have been out for over five years at this point. They could have easily just like looked at the script on there and started work early, even if they didn't have access to it from the Switch version. I just don't get it. It but um <clears throat> I guess I can't be too surprised because for better or worse, like I feel like Bandai Namco is kind of known for their more like uh niche releases that kind of have questionable localizations because i remember that even like digimon story cyber sleuth had some questionable localization choices back when that came out and obviously there's the meme with uh the, sword, the first sword art online game that was localized where it was just incredibly poor incredibly poor it became a meme within uh the localization community and all that but uh <clears throat> I remember, sorry, this is an aside, but like in Sword Art Online, whatever word they use for quests, whatever Japanese word that is, I guess can also mean like penetration. So it's like, we have to go out to do our penetrations. <laughs> very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. That's for sure. You literally you spit out my drink. <laughs> if, you're, if you're wondering why like, I'm coughing. I like yeah. that my only input, like literally just that. And then like, <laughs> well, shows we're paying attention. Uh, what was it? It was what? What was it? Tales of Fantasia, where they were doing their translation in Excel, and so Ragnarok was a, or something became King. Ra Ragnarok was autocorrected or spell checked to Kangaroo. So like that that <laughs> time that period was called Kangaroo. <laughs> 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 anyway, that's a tangent. I just oh, love I like how people were like, like how that was just like an assumption for so long. And then people were like, you know what? Let's find the actual word processor that they would have used at the time and see what spell check does. And then sure enough, it does spell check it to kangaroo. So where it's like, there was never an official confirmation that's what happened, but we basically know that's what happened. Yeah, all, which is all but confirmed. Yeah, so... Yeah, Bandai Namco's definitely had a history of having questionable localizations for some of their smaller projects and even some of their larger ones. But I don't think that's necessarily a big 
big issue here because even though they're selling this as oh it's an rpg and it is it is it's a fun distraction but um <clears throat> i feel like most of the people buying this game are going to buy it for the actual bike rhythm game uh one funny thing i do not have a switch taiko drum because i have the ps4 drum and i don't want to have to buy a separate drum just for the switch but apparently you can't use the drum controller in the single player rpg mode which feels like a bit of an oversight <laughs> kind of takes a point away really in my eyes like the only argument i've seen that kind of makes sense is that they don't want people to have to use like their pro controller or joy cons to move around the 3d overworld map and dungeons that actually exist and then switch to the drum whenever a random encounter happens which i guess that makes some sense but it's still kind of like eh you should still have the option but whatever um <clears throat> the other thing that's kind of weird well, not really is that since it's two separate games in the pack they don't share settings between each other and you can't just go into the regular just play rhythm game mode and play any of the songs in the game at once if you want to play songs that are in like say rhythmic adventure 2 yeah, then you have to go into rhythmic adventure 2 you have to like back all the way out from one and then go into two or vice versa uh, it's also kind of like a nitpick, but it feels kind of like a cop-out that they just name, they localize the titles as Rhythmic Adventure 1 and Rhythmic Adventure 2 because they had actual, like, subtitles in Japan when they came out on 3DS. Like, um, <clears throat> the first, like, the second game, which was the first one, this, uh, um, uh, kind of compilation was called, like, Don Kat, um, Kat, um, Katsu's, uh, Great Time Adventure or something like that. And then, like, the second one i didn't really play it so i don't remember what it was exactly called but it still feels like a bit of a cop-out it just feels like it's such a small thing but it feels like it would have been nice to have like the flavor for what the adventures were actually called instead of just saying this is rpg adventure one and this is rpg adventure two that just feels so sterilized i know it's a nitpick i wonder if they just did it that way just to try to make it more simple like this you played this one came out first this one <laughs> second i don't know I guess, but does it really matter in the grand scheme of things which came out first if this is the first time that either like a game has been localized? Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I do wish I had a drum controller for playing the actual rhythm game aspects of it, but uh, since we are reviewing this, I am going to have to go through at least one of the RPG modes before I write my impressions. So it's kind of like a moot point in the first place, but yeah, it's it's good if you're at all a fan of rhythm games. I feel like this is a really good value because you get basically two rhythm games for the price of one. I'm not sure if the DLC that was included for these two games is actually already baked in or if that's going to be sold later. I want to say that it's not baked in. I'd have to double check because I do actually own rhythm, um, Rhythmic Adventure 1, or I guess Great Time Adventure on 3DS. So I could check, but... I want to say that no, what were the DLC songs in the 3DS games aren't baked in. If I'm wrong, please like, uh, please be uh, feel free to correct me in the comments. I could be entirely wrong. Who knows? But yeah, either way, great value for it all in rhythm games, and then has these like neat little, like cute little RPG modes. I feel like this would be probably a decent game to get kids into, like playing rhythm games or something. <clears throat> Though I will say one thing that's incredibly unfortunate, and this was definitely a problem with the original like uh, Great Time Adventure. 
there's a character in the RPG story mode that is that incredibly offensive drag queen stereotype that you see in like some Japanese games, like that one in Persona 5 or the one in Idesomnium Files. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're still here. Uh, very unfortunate, like not much, but I have. Uh, yeah, yeah I thought they stayed behind in like the early odds. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, even when Wait, the game so, came out in Japan, it should have, they probably should have known better, but it's very unfortunate that it's still here. It's also weird because the plot of, I feel, I feel like so dumb, like nitpicking a plot of a story mode of a Taiko game. But basically, the conceit of, of uh, the story mode in the first one, at least, is that you're going around time recruiting historical figures as you're fighting through. And it's like, you have Nobunaga, and he's basically sterilized as all hell. It's like, He's treated as this great historical figure, even though he did commit plenty of atrocities. And then you have Marie Antoinette, and like <laughs> you're in like, medi like medieval, like classical Europe, and it's just like all of these characters are just like family friendly. Yeah, it's like oh, I didn't know. Uh... And then what's really funny is that <clears throat> you actually go into a church for the dungeon in classical Europe, and some of the enemies are okay. Here's like all these classical, uh, like here's um, Genghis Khan, he loved horses. Well, no, in, <laughs> like, uh, like spirits and like phantoms, like you have like a headless horseman, or you have um, Jack O' Lantern. It's like basically looking exactly like the persona, ver this is just Shimagami Tensei persona version. It's just like okay. <laughs> So, I mean, I understand that this game is going to be silly. It almost seems like the weird, almost the really like weird weirdly thing. silly. The funny, the really funny thing is though, is that like some of the, the enemies in that specific section, like there's literally like a a demon, which I assume is a succubus, that's dressed up like a nun, and then there's like the literal what? Bed. Yeah, it's like what, what? <laughs> It, I don't it, think it, I've ever heard, like, well, maybe it's, I don't know, Succubus Nun in a Tycho game. What? <laughs> yeah, it's just very weird. It's, like, very clearly it's just, like, they're playing hot and loose with everything. So it's actually kind of cute, but it's also, like, man, wonder if, uh, like, you, it, you don't usually see people angry about this stuff nowadays, but it's, like, man, I wonder if there will be people who will actually be pissed about this. <laughs> who knows? But uh, that's, like, the one conceit I'd say, like, I do feel like this is a good game for like kids, but it's also like, hmm, hmm. Yeah, I honestly don't know what to say. It's like that's that seems odd. It's not what I <laughs> expected, but basically, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I really have to say. Well, actually, no. Uh, the second rhythmic adventure game has like these crossovers with like Ace Attorney and like. Kirby and like Toho. Yeah, so I You can have like literally a party of you, Kirby, DDD, Phoenix Wright, right. <laughs> and like your favorite Tuhu character, and just in a battle, it's just like, man, everyone is here before Smash Ultimate even a, was even a thing. But uh, yeah. A lot of fun. It's charming. If you're at all a fan of rhythm games, definitely pick it up. Uh, 
But then again, if you're at all a fan of Rhythm Games, you probably probably already have bought it because very good value and whatnot. So yeah, uh, gonna keep playing it. I'm probably not gonna have much else to add to it, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it seems like a fun little game, and I'm always I'm always glad to hear you talk at length about these rhythm and rhythm hybrid games just because they're completely like outside of my typical purview. So otherwise I would not be exposed to them at all. Yep. All right. So that covers all of our impressions for the week. It's a good thing that that went on for a hundred minutes because <laughs> we're always just a bunch of hypocrites uh, when it comes to that. Uh, we have very, very few topics to talk about. I think this is like the shortest we've, we've seen on the podcast yet. Um, a few are a few article shout outs. First, um, Colin Black did review the PlayStation 4 version of Dragon Quest XI-S, Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. I want to make sure I strung all that together in the right order. Uh, surprise, it's still good. We still like it. We've had three different people review the game, and all three liked it. There's really no conspiracy there. It's just that it's, we haven't had anyone be more critical on it, just out of the three played appearances we've had. So one of the best of the generation. We've got Adam's write-up for Shadow Dragon, Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon, and The Blade of Light. Obviously, just kind of puts his perspective on it in a written form about how it's a cool offering, how it's a nice a nice little slice of history, but, you know, carried, you know, bogged down by stupid arbitrary release silliness. And then we also didn't mention this, but just this morning, uh, Josh Torres did put up a review for Haven, which is an indie game from the Game Bakers, that is kind of RPG-ish, uh, starring a, a couple, and it's a game centered around the themes of love. And uh, I don't want to speak for Josh, especially if he's not here to speak for himself. He thinks that the game does have some really strong moments about its very specific and unique theming, but also has a few very key misfires, especially when it comes to, we kind of mentioned this surprisingly just a few minutes ago, an antagonist that's kind of like queer-coded as the only representation in the game that way. So... I haven't played the game myself to know any details, but I just do know that Josh Torres did mention that as something that he didn't really read very fondly of in the game. Even even from a distance, it seems like poor optics at best. Like, yeah, it may not be what you intended, but that doesn't portray well. <laughs> so, yep, we got those three features up. Uh, we also do have a casual mode feature that we recorded last week about, oh, I hope I get this right, Sharing the Wanderer, the Tower of Fortune, and the Dice of Fate. So we yes. uh, we had James look at the Switch version of that up on the YouTube channel. Uh, so for topics, we've only really got like maybe two and a half. Uh, one of them is Bioware, our good friends uh, in Canada, or most of their studios in Canada. Um, yes. Well, they've got they've, they've got one in Austin. So, uh, anyways, Katie uh, Hudson and Mark Dara are are leaving the studio. Uh, obviously, this is the second time that Casey has left. He left in like 2014, came back in 2017, um, and now he's leaving again. Um, Mark Dara is also leaving. Uh, they were both. He's been there forever. <laughs> yeah. And the very first thing that they stated as soon as these, these departures were announced was that Dragon Age and Mass Effect will continue as planned. Though specifically, they call out the Mass Effect Legendary Collection and not whatever is next from Mass Effect that they literally just like teased yeah, a month I ago. That. Like they're, they're, you can see they're kind of very careful with their wording. Like, yep, Legendary Edition is still coming next year. I'm like, oh, that's good, I guess. What about the what about after that? Um, On that note, uh, Jeff Keighley specifically 
you know, announced that Dragon Age, whatever, four, whatever you want to call it, is going to be, we're going to get something at the Game Awards, which is, ne- you know, within a week. So we'll see what that's like. And oh. wasn't, Mark Darrow was the lead on that, right? And now it's been handed off. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll get something. This is one of those things. Yeah, okay. Darrow was at, uh, was has a 23-year career with the studio. Most of it spent as an, an executive producer on Dragon Age. Um, <laughs> I never want to get like hyperbolic because I've learned by, as a hobbyist covering the industry through this lens that I have here, that studio acquisitions and departures happen pretty frequently. Oh. And they're, they're often not indicative of like, oh my God, someone someone left a job at X and now works at Y, is X in trouble? 99% of the time it's it's no. Like the person mm-hmm. just found a better, you know, like a better, a better job, a better offering. Um I don't wanna I don't wanna just be like a hypocrite. The thing is, is like this is Bioware who is still fumbling off the release of Anthem, which was years ago now. And with these franchises that are both kind of mired in a lot of uncertainty so this when you've already swimming in a pool of uncertainty you can't just look at these and say like oh these two big departures i don't want to overthink them it's very easy to to start worrying about this at least in my case and i I feel like it's justified yeah i agree i my question would have been do you guys think it's hyperbolic to be like oh god why we're in trouble or i i personally i think it's a natural thing but coupled with everything that has happened with bioware like even as far like far back as mass effect andromeda like like anthem obviously had its massive issues but even andromeda was kind of viewed like oh yeah so like it is kind of worrying i when when, when was dragon age 3 2014 and that that i know got a few game of the year awards but awards it literally won the game of the year at the game awards (laughs) the first one i think and then um and even that has like a pretty large, at least from my perspective, a pretty large contingent of naysayers. Detractors, yeah. Yeah, it's like if if there, if there was like someone leaving Nintendo EAD to, to work at uh, Capcom or uh, Naughty Dog to go work at Sony Santa Monica or something like that, where they weren't coming off these like reeling disappointments you'd be like oh they just found you know better opportunity for themselves you know don't don't overthink it but when when you see this two announced on the same day i'm just i guess i need this also to state the obvious go ahead to state the obvious the fact that dara is like the dragon age lead and he's leaving while there's another dragon age title supposedly in production like not like after the game shipped but like while it's being developed and he's he's the been the lead and you know He's only one person, and there's hundreds of people who work on Dragon Age, but it's still just like, it's, it's, I think it's okay to be mildly concerned when that is the case. Him leaving while it's in production. Yeah, so as part of the blog post from, uh, let's see, both Casey and Mark wrote one, and there's one that I guess is just titled From Bioware. I don't know if you know who actually wrote this. but the Christian Daly, who joined Bioware from Blizzard, will be leading the Dragon Age project currently in development. So that's the new name to remember, Christian, Christian Daly. And then the general, they're going to be looking for a general manager. I think this name, um, let's see. I'm just parsing through the post. I don't think they've named a new general manager to replace 
Casey Hudson yet. So no, I don't think they have. They Mike Mike Gamble is the name of the person still leading the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, and they are, they are seemingly tight lipped on speaking Mass Effect outside of the context of the Legendary Edition, which is still exciting. But I know that's kind of not the that's not the one that had people having question. I was going to say so, like like in terms of that, that's basically just a remaster as far as we know i wouldn't be too concerned about that i know there's there's speculation on like are they going to tweak mass effect one so it's more like two and three or is it going to be a little bit more than a remaster but they honestly haven't that game comes out supposedly early next year no date or anything but we that all we got was that like brief teaser that kind of just showed some character models which were a little bit touched up but just like we don't honestly know a lot though by this time next week we should know more because apparently we are getting some information at the game awards right yeah for dragon be... age i know we are but not sure about mass effect but still at the, right now we don't know a whole lot about the remaster other than that it's a remaster of some sort <sighs> always stinks to hear news about this there's always like this veil of obscurity where you don't want to just guess and speculate yourselves into a cock out your butt Right. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you stated it more plainly than me. But it's, I guess this is one of those things where you we really won't be able to substantiate whether or not this is a terrible thing or a, or a thing that's not that critical until I, I guess the the next time we I guess we'll just talk again next week. Uh, I, I we've mentioned it just twice in the last ten minutes, but not only do we have like Cyberpunk to talk about next week, but anything else at the Game Awards, so. And for our last podcast of the year, our last regular one, crazy. Got to be crazy, yeah. And then uh, here is something that uh, was kind of surprise revealed. We got an official website link for Persona 5 Strikers, which released a few years ago in Japan. Is getting Earlier this year. A, oh. February. Man, this year is really long. <laughs> Yeah, February feels like years ago. Uh, Well, anyways, we got we got a website for it. And there's also been there was an unlisted trailer for it that was found and snuffed out and likely will will be more detailed at the Game Awards as well. So we know it's coming. It's coming. Atlas basically they they basically confirmed it like Of course, they themed it where like the the Phantom Thieves have still have interrupted our transmission we'll let you know uh, more next week met, those meddling kids <laughs> yeah but they literally <laughs> have a website that shows the logo and the platforms so we can say it's coming on these platforms we just have it it's not officially announced yeah well well it's officially announced in the sense that they show that they gave us the, the website right but but it wasn't so, meant to be announced right yeah, it's, it's, like. it's kind of <laughs> like they're like they're just obviously it was leaked and they're they're not pretending it is, and they're like, "All right, yes, we're going to show you more in the Game Awards, sort of stuff." So we'll get more then. Wait, did they say Game Awards? I think they they said December. Oh 8th. no! Oh oh yeah, sorry. The Game Award. The Game Awards was a was a speculation. Sorry. Yeah, like it, that people are wondering. Like, I bet this was the Game Awards announcement, um, but they said it's going to be revealed December eighth, so just beforehand. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what Atlas said. So sorry. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to conflate the speculation there. Hmm. The only other footnote that I have that I know that happened this week is, uh, and I should have mentioned this when I mentioned the uh, review, is Dragon Dragon Quest Eleven. I almost said Dragon Age Eleven. <laughs> Dragon Quest Eleven S 
since it released on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC, the original version of the game has been delisted. You can no longer purchase it on Steam or PSN. I'm, I'm assuming likely Xbox. Well, I guess you can never purchase it on Xbox, never mind. Um, you might be able to still find it from a key site like GMG or CD Keys to get the original version of the game. And I have three thoughts about this. One, I think there's really no reason to pull the original game on principle, like, regardless of what the impression of is of 11S. I don't really see a reason to pull the original version. Two, 11S is obviously kind of refashioned from the Switch version of the game. So certain graphical assets do look different and obviously a slightly lower quality. And I think it's built on a different version of Unreal. So it's not as, it's not as simple as, well, they'll just mod it in. It's like maybe over the long term, it can be like sort of tweaked, <laughs> but it, it's, not, it's not as simple as pull from ps4 game put into or sorry pull from original pc release put into s release especially considering all the new content which doesn't have anything else to pull from and you have to like replace it um customly i don't know and then also if you go to like the steam forums i know they're they can be very sort of volatile there is no uh option to upgrade or coupon or discount it's just if you want the new content you gotta play full price which i think is 40 dollars for 11s so it's the original game, or I think both games have been kind of uh, review bombed. You could say that's overly dramatic. You could say that it's a bit silly that the original game was delisted. I think both can be true. It's. I just feel like there's you know there's no shortage of digital space, and 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 we've seen like before like Skyrim special edition, like if you search for Skyrim on Steam, I believe the special edition is what shows up, but you can still link to the original version of the game because why not keep selling it. It's, I, I just think that this is just, I don't know. It's, it just feels kind of needless. It's what's kind of funny from the same publisher, Final Fantasy VIII, both the original like PC port and the remastered port show up in search, show up in search. So, yeah, just yeah. for whatever reason, like Square Enix is always really weird when it comes to our PC versions and like. It can either be, oh, we're going to delist this because there's a new version, like with the last um, Remnant Remastered. It's just like, and then there's like this, where it's like, okay, we don't want to have two versions of the same game on Steam, where they do have other games that are basically the same exact deal. And I'm sure whenever like Final Fantasy VII Remake comes out on PC in probably like four months or where, whenever, like, the original Final Fantasy VII, like PC port, is still going to be up there. Well, so. that's slightly different because that's like really a reimagining where this is kind of like, yeah, a, I guess that is a bit different. Yeah, but it's still, the point being is just that they're, they're always so weird about this stuff, and it's like some like PC versions, it's like, yeah, this makes a ton of sense, and then there's some that are just like it feels kind of, and then this is a different issue, I guess. But I, like, I I just think like even if. You didn't, I think the out of the three things I listed, I think the thing that most people seem to be hung up on is that yes, technically the S version has worse graphics because it's built up from the Switch version. So now you can't even buy the best looking version of the game anymore. That's kind of like the bottom line. You can't buy Dragon Quest Eleven as it looked its best as of today, if you don't already own it, or unless you get lucky on like a key site. Um, but my impression is just that even if that wasn't even a factor, even if Dragon Quest XI S was just like almost better in every measurable way, 
I just think like, just because a game is gussied up, you don't just say, oh, the original version no longer exists. Imagine going like Lord of the Rings and you could only ever watch the extended editions. I guess some people might say like, well, of course you'd want that, but like not all the editions that they've added, I think work well for those movies. Like, so the theatrical editions still, still, still work. Um, Star Wars isn't even more like- Oh, there's another one, yeah. That's actually a better example than Lord of the Rings. Imagine where like the original versions of Star Wars, well, some people might say like, well, this is a movie and that's a game, but I guess that's probably just the age, the age of the two industries, relatively speaking. I still think there's a, a, a valid parallel there. Imagine if you wanted to watch Star Wars, the only version you could ever watch is the Blu-ray version where Darth Vader says no at the end. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, people, people have been People have been pining for like, unspecialized editions of star wars the original trilogy forever yeah. <laughs> and then the, the, well. the argument there is you could say like well none of the editions in dragon quest 11s are as egregious as the ones out of star wars which fair but that's not always going to be universally true what if there's another definitive edition of some other game where they add well like i guess no that's not a good example either i was thinking like persona 4 golden's marie final fantasy 8 that's on steam that's from square enix it's a very good comparison so the remastered edition has, you know, upgraded models and whatnot, but it's some people, well, maybe that's actually not a good example because it's the PC port of the first game is not as, maybe you should just ignore this. The PSX version, <laughs> the original play, the original PlayStation version of Final Fantasy VIII does have some advantages that neither of the PC ports have, like uh, analog control. <laughs> well, I guess let's boil it down to this. So we, we've already we've rattled off a few different versions across a few different industries of different things in the last 200 seconds. Well, you can buy the original version of Final Fantasy. Yeah, like the on, thing is, is that in, in most of these cases, all of those versions can independently be criti- criticized, evaluated. And unless there is some like governing board of the true critics of the of the media that will definitively state that Dragon Quest XI S is the only meaningful version of this game that ever should exist. Therefore, we need to delist the original version. Like, I just don't think you can state that on principle. Like, I don't know. That's that's what I mean. Like, just because it's definitive edition according to the publisher of the game doesn't mean that the original version no longer has merit. So it just seems like a needless a needless decision to unlist it to delist it. Personally, I that's, that's my opinion on the on the matter. Dragon Quest, and I played the Switch version. So I'm like, yeah, I played the best looking version and I played the S upgrades. You know, I'm good. Uh-huh. This is very like out of left field, but all this discussion about like various different versions and of the same game. I I didn't even really mention it earlier, but it feels incredibly weird that I'm technically playing a sequel to a game that I played on Switch on Vita. Just putting that out there. <laughs> oh, James, you always have to bring the Vita into it. <laughs> It's it just seems arbitrary. And if your only defense is that, well, the S version's better, I just think that that's not something that can be universally true in principle. The definitive version's not always going to be always better. So there you go. My two cents. And that's all the topics that I had listed. So we got through those in like 15 minutes. Does anyone else, was there anything else that happened in the last week that I missed? Adam, you read all the news. One of the Dragon Age voice actors went oh, off yeah, like a loon. Oh, yeah. yeah just... so, so they posted like a 40-minute video to their YouTube channel, basically yelling about cancel culture. Uh, if you enjoy that, I'm sure you can find mirrors. Go, go enjoy someone ranting, I suppose. <laughs> we'll see if he has a future with that uh, 
IP anymore. Or any IP. Spoilers next. <laughs> or, or any IP, we'll see. Other than that, that wraps up penultimate, with the right word, edition of the 2020 yes. Tetracast. So crazy that we're a week into December. We started this in like February and we've, we've done it every week. I, I guess I won't pat, won't pat myself on the, on the back yet until until next week. And then we'll see how the game of the year deliberations go. Hopefully we'll have a much larger cast. We'll get some people on here that aren't, aren't typically on here. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see some different perspectives and go over the the year as it's been. So I guess I'll do some of the uh, sign-off stuff. Uh, if we have all the reviews that we mentioned up on our webpage at rpgsite.net. You can follow us on Twitter at rpgsite. We've got the casual mode videos up on our YouTube page, rpgsite.net. Uh, if you click on the Discord link at the top of our homepage, you can go into our Discord to chat about all RPGs like Monster Hunter, our favorite RPG series. And then we will be here. <laughs> I was hoping for a response. If no one did, I felt really bad. And then, uh, so thank you, George. And then uh, we will be back next week with the last normal edition of the TetraCast. So we hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, if you do have any feedback of any sort, we'd love to hear it always, even if it means we're doing something poorly that we should be doing better. Of course, compliments are always welcome too. But until then, take care. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.